The FBI recently reported that Americans lost $10.3 billion to Internet scammers in 2022 with cryptocurrency and other investment scams gaining steam. There are still lots of ways that people are trying to get your money, and we're going to dig into some of the ways that consumers can better protect themselves next up on Today in Tech. Hi, everyone. I'm Keith Shaw. Welcome to Today in Tech. Joining me on the show today is Rob Holmes. He is the founder and CEO of MI33, a private investigation firm that specializes in intellectual property and digital intelligence. Welcome, Rob. Hey, nice to be here. Yeah, you've got a great kind of backstory about, uh, you know, a lot of the different things that you do. Uh, I think when you uh, emailed me initially, you were like, hey, I'm a private eye. And I just kept thinking of a guy with a, with a, with a fedora on and a trench coat. And but but you you tackle, you know, a lot of different uh, intellectual property and, uh, you know, um, uh, counterfeiting type things. Can you just uh, quickly explain sort of what you do and uh, the, the firm that, that, that you work with? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I grew up with my my father was the guy on Canal Street who was doing all the busts uh, with the fake Rolexes and the handbags and all that kind of stuff yep. in the 80s and 90s. And um, I uh, I kind of grew up around that stuff. He was also the, one of the first guys to use the Internet and online searches back in the early 90s. Um, I got involved. I went away from the family business, moved out to Los Angeles and um, found myself working for someone uh, that he that he knew. And while that was happening, this was 1995 and the internet was exploding, at least on the back channels, you know, eBay, all these different things were going on. Yep. And um, yeah, how I got into it was um, these movie studios and software companies were getting ripped off and counterfeits were being sold online. And um, I was the new guy at the firm and they told me to um, start investigating these things. And um, ever since then, I've kind of been the guy on, uh, you know, when it comes to counterfeiting in the web. Right. So um, it's evolved throughout the years, of course. And you obviously track a lot of different sort of uh, scams that that sort of uh, pop up uh, around, you know, basically people that are trying to get money from other people. There's there's a lot of different uh, techniques um, as well, right? Yeah, yeah, and and the 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 way that the trademarks are being used to defraud people has changed throughout the years. Obviously, there are still people out there spamming with um, you know emails saying, "Hey, buy cheap you know Air Jordans, things like that for a third the price." Um, but a lot of the scams using trademarks now are actually financial fraud scams, and what's happening is, um, say for example. Uh, someone will um, will uh, send you an email saying that you have a package from FedEx that needs to be picked up. Mm -hmm. uh, and you click on the link and you provide them with your information. And once you do that, obviously, that's, you know, that's the first step of identity theft. Um, and, and a lot of trademarks are being used in that way now to uh, rip people off, like direct rip off, not just, you know, with counterfeiting, it's kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, we know they're fake, but... It's a cheap deal. Yeah. Um, with with uh, the use now, we're starting to see impersonations where clients are actually being uh, being impersonated to steal people's money. So is it, is it because that they, they they think that the user has a, a certain amount of trust because of the trademark that is being that is being sort of duplicated or impersonated? It's absolutely the trust. Yeah. It's building upon the trust of the client. 
Yeah. So the the FBI came out with the the list of the some of the top scams uh, from 2022, and a, a lot of the things that are on the list we've seen before, such as you know ransomware, uh, call center fraud, uh, business email compromise. That's big in in the enterprise space where uh, companies are trying to get you know businesses or or the scammers are trying to get businesses to give up a lot of money by by claiming to be the CFO or something like that um or or they they target a person in the company but one of the things that 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 caught my interest was the rise of investment schemes and investment scams uh in the cryptocurrency space and you cover a lot of that in your in your business with with crypto can can you talk a little bit about sort of the scams that you're seeing there yeah, you know, I, I go back to the old school. Every every time I work on a case or, you know, talk about tech, I always go back to the old school concepts. And, you know, you've seen like the Wolf of Wall Street, that movie. Yep. You know, back in this is in the back in the nineties when they were they had these major mass call centers and they were getting people to invest in these, you know, crap nickel stocks and, and penny stocks and things like that. And uh those were pump and dump schemes where they had enough people that invested in the stock where the stock would go up a few cents and they would sell it all and leave all their investors high and dry. Well, with crypto, it's it's pretty much the same thing. And some of these NFTs and off-brand NFTs, obviously there are a lot of legitimate startups out there, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of off-brand NFTs that are trying to play off of the excess of Bored Ape and some of those others. And what they're doing is they're getting people to, to purchase these NFTs, believing that the stock will rise. But once they get a certain amount of money, um, they pull the rug out from underneath everyone and um, they just snatch the money and, and the NFT is worthless. Right. And so do you think that that sort of then because of all of these sort of scandals that have happened recently, do, do you think that that's getting a bad reputation for this technology that can be used for for useful purposes? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think that happens in every in every situation. You take something that is that is new and uh, trusted, at least, you know, uh, you know, by the public. And when, uh, you know, when there's a certain amount of, uh, what I say, enthusiasm, like a gold rush type of situation, like there is with NFTs. I mean, look, there are, there are celebrities that are asking one another investment advice on purchasing NFTs as if they are Rembrandts and things like that. Yeah. So once you see, once you see the, the, the folks, the elite spending money in this area, it appears legit and many of them are. Yeah. And then what happens is they start going down the rung. And they're down the rungs of the ladder and they start to see, okay, look, you know, I can get this guy to invest $5,000, not 5 million, you know, and $5,000 is a lot smaller risk. But um, again, back in the day, they would get you to invest $5,000 into a crap stock. So it's, it's very close to the same thing. They're just using, they're using the new tech to disguise the old scam. Right, right. So it's just, so yeah, I think we, when we talked before, I was wondering if there are any new tools that, that, that scammers are using. Um, and it's just that they're using new technology terms or maybe, maybe new ways, but the, the scams are still the same old scams from before, right? Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, they're still using the same, the same tactics. Uh, I don't know. You, you probably look at your spam every day as well as I do. I go through my spam just looking for the good stuff, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and now you're starting to see a lot of, a lot of investment scams that are starting to come up through the spam channels, which was really kind of died a few years ago because people weren't falling for the penny stocks anymore. Uh-huh. And now you're starting to see investment scams coming up through the spam. But of course, it's with tokens and with 
and with um, you know uh, NFTs and different things like that, mostly tokens. Is it is it just because people think like, oh, okay, well, this is a new technology, so um, this is where I can make a lot of money, and and you know, my friend down the street said, oh, you should get into crypto and all that other stuff, or. Is it, is it because they, they're just unfamiliar with the, the technology terms and that's how they're falling for some of these these scams? Or I'm wondering why more people are falling for these recently. Because again, in that FBI report, they, they said that the, the age of the victim is in the 30 to 49 year old range. And you would think that, that younger sort of people would, would have at least a, a bit of sense to understand that this might be not legit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that happens. Uh, the the reason the reason for that is that the technology is still fairly new. I mean, even you and I, who are fairly adept at this stuff, we're not in it every day, you know. So so you know, you take you go down just a couple just a couple levels of experience, and yeah. you have someone who they they know how to create a wallet, they know how to do an investment, they probably have a uh, you know some sort of a Coinbase account or something like that, but they don't really know much else. And there is a large amount of enthusiasm, just like with the gold rush, you know, hundreds of years, a couple hundred years ago, not even. Um, yeah. But with the gold rush, there were a lot of people rushing and buying land that was garbage, you know, because they were just like, you know what, we're going to take a chance. We're going to risk everything and do it. And, um, you know, back then, of course, people migrated to do it here. They just have to sit on their couch in their underwear and do it. <laughs> and that, so it's a lot easier. And that reminds me of the, of the conversation we had before uh, when we talked before was that uh, you think that the metaverse is sort of uh, ripe for that type of scamming as well. Can you can you jump into that a little bit? Yeah, I think the metaverse, the, the, the problem with the metaverse is it's a population issue. Um, you know, with with a lot of with a lot of things on the Internet, you can sit here, you can be on camera, not be on camera, all that kind of stuff. And we're usually fairly comfortable in the situation we're in. But with the metaverse, I think where um, I think where um, uh, some of these folks have gone wrong is believing that people want to go to um, go to go to work and actually travel to an office as a stick man. Yeah. Dressed like yourself. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the population isn't there to really pull off that many scams in say like the, the, the metaverse that's being pushed right now. But I'll tell you where the scams really lie are some of the older metaverses that have been around for, for more than a decade. Okay. And we're talking, I want to use certain brands and trademarks, but you know, you look at some of these games, these, uh, these massive multiplayer games where money is being traded daily. Uh-huh. I mean, we're talking, you know, you're buying, you're buying an in-house currency and purchasing things from one another inside the games. And there is a massive amount of fraud that has been going on in those worlds. And a lot of people don't think of those because they've been around for so long, but a lot of the fraud is happening right there. And they're not the metaverses that people are talking about because so much money is being pumped into these, you know, Facebook meta and some of these newer ones. Yeah. But a lot of the older ones, because there are people there, people spending money, the microtransactions are going crazy. Right, right. So people can, people are there, people are spending money and buying fake objects. I mean, you know, you could buy, believe it or not, in some of these games, you could buy like a saddle for your dragon, you know, for 50 bucks. Yep. Right. Well, you buy the saddle for your dragon, you never get it. Right. That's you know, still, that's, things like that. I mean, that that's still sort of a big problem, or is it just because it's a small? It might be a smaller game, and it's not enforced as much as maybe some of the bigger. Well, it's being the bigger enforced. Platforms. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's being enforced. It's just that it's, it's just like, say, you know, I always, I always bring a lot of the crime I fight. I bring it down to the real world narcotics situation. You know, the cops know the turf, the bad guys know the turf, but it's just a game of whack-a-mole. Mm -hmm. The bad guys just try to stay one step ahead so that they can make their nut for the day. You know what I mean? And they just keep on doing that. So, yeah, they're still out there doing it. Yeah. And w w was it you and I that were talking about the, the whole Snoop Dogg virtual world type thing, too? Was that was that you or is that maybe someone else that that I was talking? About I don't think one? so. I don't think so. Oh, OK. I think there yeah. was. I was talking to someone about there was a there was an idea that you could buy virtual real estate next to Snoop Dogg. But that may have been on a different show. Um, oh, we, yeah. yeah you well, know, <laughs> I think the problem with a lot of these two, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like, um, you know, 20 years ago, you didn't know where to really invest your time. You know, you didn't know if Amazon was going to be the big one or buy.com was going to be the big one, yeah. you know, as far as like, where do I want to have all my product or be, you know, use or with with some of these virtual worlds, I actually went into one. I mean, there's Decentraland and there was one, I forget the name, but there was one that was like being pumped by all these folks to be the next place that you want to buy real estate. So I went and looked at my childhood home and I was going to buy it for like, you know, a hundred bucks, yeah. you know, the property and things like that. Yeah. And I think it's, it's scary because, because real estate in the real world is finite, you know, and, right. and there's, there's a real world purpose to it. But with this, you're just buying something that is near something in a make-believe land where you might be able to peek over the fence and see a party. You know what I mean? Right. If you really live near Snoop Dogg, you'd be able to peek over the fence and see a party. You right. know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah. It, 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 it makes it tough to figure out what to really invest in and not know what is, you know, I guess, is, is there any tips in terms of how to, to figure out if something is a scam or not a scam, or do you just sort of not play the game at all? Well, th there's a fine line between scams and hopeful business, uh, hopeful business enterprises. Okay. You know, for example, there are a lot of legitimate brands out there that are trying to create their own massive enterprise. Like there are drug stores now that have real estate in some of these, some of these places, fast food restaurants, and they're banking a lot of money into some of these metaverses, believing that some of this would happen. Um, and uh, you may invest money as a customer in this product, and then it ends up not being, you know, not being as valuable as you thought, you know? And I think a lot of times, a lot of times you have scams that are deliberate scams, and then you have these hopeful enterprises that end up not panning out. Yeah. And I think a lot of them, especially with the legitimate brands, they're just hopeful enterprises and they're just hoping that one of these that one of these things takes off and enough. You know, the only way for it to take off is enough of their customers to take a risk and invest time and money and spend microtransactions and all that stuff into the one thing to build up their world. Right. That make, that makes me think of like the Kickstarter world where, um, you know, you get a lot of people that, you know, that, that go on to Kickstarter and you're like, yeah, I, I see this game that you're developing or I see this product that you're making and you want to invest in them. And then you hear that they just never get to that point where they actually send you a product. Is that a scam or is that a failed business opportunity? Like that's the sort well, of the question you got to ask, right? Right. And that's the thing. You don't know which one's which in, in a lot of cases, because, you know, like I, I used the term earlier, a rug pull scam. A rug pull scam is basically getting a lot of people to invest in something and, and then saying, ah, oh, sorry, it didn't work out. And the money's gone. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jim Baker went to jail 
you know, the, the preacher from the 80s, he went to jail right. selling this pe people this dream that he really believed in, I think. Yeah. It was going to be Disneyland for Christians. Right. And turns out he ran out of money here, ran out of money there. He spent the money, you know, uh, robbed Peter to pay Paul and he was broke. And he ended up, it ended up being a pyramid scheme at the end of it all. Is it, is uh, so I think some scams that begin as legitimate just aren't sustainable. Right, right. Is it easier to, to sort of track down and catch someone now um, that that might be a scammer? Is it, is it easier with the internet or is it harder because maybe you don't know exactly where they are when you fall for that scam? Like it used to be if you fell for a scam that you at least would have seen them in person, like the old the old movie, The Sting, like, you know, the con game yeah. type thing or the con man. You would have been able to sort of track them down quicker. Uh, I guess, is it harder now on the internet or is it easier because you can just, there's so many tools at your disposal to try to find someone? Yeah, I, I think it's the same. It's yeah. the same. Yeah. And it all depends on the terrain. You know, my terrain happens to be the web. So I'm adept at that. Yep. Um, I still need GPS in the real world to find normal places that I go to just because I don't have a sense of direction in the real world, <laughs> you know? So my specialty is hunting people online. I work with my brother and that's what we do. Yeah. Um, I will tell you though, that with some of the new tools, especially the decentralized tools, it does get a little harder without subpoena power, uh -huh. you know, cause a lot of work we do is in the civil sector. Uh, so yeah, with a lot of the, um, with a lot of the new, um, with the new technology, it is becoming a little bit harder to do. I mean, I'll tell you one example was that um, a lot of us investigators, we used to be able to go back and look at at um, domain registrations prior to um, prior to being anonymized. Uh -huh. Right. So, for example, some guys ripping people off online when he first registered it three years ago, he put his real information or at least a good email address. Yeah. Right. But now you go and say it's domain, domains by proxy or Namecheap or one of those. Well, there are tools out there where you can find past who is registrations, cached old, just like the Internet Archive, where you right. can look at old versions of a website. Um, but now, now one thing that's really making it hard for investigators is even GoDaddy, uh, anonymization of the registration is default. And a lot of registrars don't even charge for it anymore. It used to be an extra 10 bucks a year. Now, many of them don't even charge anymore. So the second they, the second the bad guy registers the domain, it's anonymized. Yeah. So that's one, one tool we don't have anymore. Why, why was that allowed? Is that something that, that came out of either legislation or is it just, uh, you know, why would they allow that if, if to just someone come up with a fake, either a fake name or just not put their real name on something? Um, I think I think a lot of it has to do with the lack of education with the people that are making the rules. Okay. Uh, I can in particular. Um, I think that, okay, for, for example, in the old school, like I said, I went from the old school, even sitting at a desk, most of my work was done by telephone. Mm -hmm. um, when someone has, law is, when you have a P.O. box and your P.O. box, this is with a, like a actual U.S. Postal Service P.O. box. Your information by law is on record, okay? Right. And when if I want to know your P.O. box information, all I have to do is show them evidence that you're doing business with the public. Right. As long as you're doing with business with the public using that address, you have no right to privacy because you're taking my money, mm -hmm. right? And that's been like that. That's been like that since the '90s, since I've been doing this. And I've been saying for years that there needs to be legislation showing the same 
respect to the public with domains. Because when you register a domain, you can give a lot of fake information, but the email address has to be correct or you can't verify the account. So say, for example, if someone is selling, you know, whatever, uh, someone has a website or sell, they're, they're scamming old folks and they have a site that looks like a legitimate uh, banking site, which is a lot of what happens. Yeah. You know, they'll have a real trading site um, and I can get into some of that, but I just realized I have a a few financial clients that have had me investigate people who have literally uh, duplicated their site and are getting people to invest Bitcoin into on the website. But but going back to the, the anonymization is that you should be able to prove to the registrar, show them, look, they're doing business with the public. Okay, their information, they have no right to privacy, at least with the information that they provided for business purposes. Right. Yeah, and, and I've been saying that for years uh, and all on deaf ears. And for whatever reason, uh, it doesn't seem to be a priority anywhere. Are, are you finding that a lot of these these uh, scammers are now international as well, that, it's, that it might be harder to track them down? Or, or do you still find a lot that are U.S.-based and you can go after them? Uh, sadly enough, sadly enough, uh, yeah, I mean, many of them are offshore. Um, you know, and I, I hate to... I hate to poke because I get some buddies out in Nigeria, good law enforcement folks, but um, it's the Wild West out there. Yeah. It's like the U.S. 100 years ago, as far as law enforcement and criminals, you know, they're outnumbered. Um, but yeah, West Africa is a place where there are a lot, there's just a lot of these folks who do that and it's easy money for them. It's easy pickings. And again, law enforcement just hasn't caught up to the gold rush of crime out there yet. Right. But and I will. think and I think that you you know we were we were joking when we were talking before too is like that you know the United States was built on piracy. It, it felt like like there was a, there's been a history of of basically pirates in in, in the whole the course of the Yankee, US. The word Yankee. Yeah. Suppose it, legend has it the word Yankee comes from the Dutch word Yanksy, which means pirate. <laughs> And yeah, we were ripping off Charles Dickens. That was a big deal back when the a Christmas Carol and probably some of the other Dickens books, uh, we were ripping him off left and right until it became financially feasible for us to, uh, to comply. We didn't. Yeah. And it's the same thing with a lot of these marketplaces. Um, speaking of, you know, one marketplace, Alibaba, which is one of the biggest in the world. Um, I was working with, um, with some of the brands. When, when Alibaba was coming to the U.S. to join the stock exchange here, this is maybe about five years ago, they had a rule. You have a, you open a store on our Tmall website. Tmall is one of their sites. Mm -hmm. You open a store there, a legitimate store, then we'll enforce your brand everywhere else. And I look, I'm from Jersey. So I understand the, you know, Uncle Tony will keep an eye on you if you give me a little money. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? So, um, I helped. There's a, uh, Gucci versus Alibaba, which was a case that, that, uh, hit the, the Wall Street Journal and a bunch of these. But what we did was yeah. we put together evidence that, that they were playing off counterfeiting and they were using it to, you know, gain, uh, uh, viewership and customers. So when we were able to do that, Gucci was able to go to the table and say, look, we're not opening a store, but you're going to enforce equally across the board. Right. And doesn't, doesn't Amazon have a lot of problems with third party counterfeiters or at least products? Oh, that, God. Because I see them all the time. They're trying to go after, you know, I see news alerts about, about Amazon trying to go after um, third party sellers that are selling fake merchandise. Yeah. You might want to put, um, you might want to put air quotes around okay. uh, trying. There we go. 
<laughs> I don't know if they're trying because what happens is a lot of the a lot of the real uh, the the stuff that's happening on Amazon isn't all out counterfeiting as much as it is gray market. Okay. Okay. And a big secret is the gray market is the biggest pain in the behind to every brand owner. Um, yeah, now, explain, just explain, quickly, what you mean, yeah, explain what you mean by gray, by gray marketing or. Yeah. Gray marketing. So, you know, most people know the black market, things okay. that are illegal yep. being sold, you know, to consumers, the gray market is a gray area. So for example, there are, um, there are shipments of certain brand like sunglasses that are, in, that are intended and, you know, they negotiate prices in every country differently. Mm -hmm. So you might have a container of sunglasses, brand name sunglasses going to Greece or going to, you know, uh, J you know, Japan or, or Mexico and they reroute those and they bring them here because there's an extra 5% profit if they do that. Um, so they'll bring them here and they'll use a fulfillment center, like for example, could be Amazon, could be another fulfillment, and um, they'll sell them here for that extra 5%, you know, or whatever it is. Um, that is a massive problem because guess what? It's not illegal. Mm. So the brands can't do anything about it legally. The only the only way the brands can, can do something about it is that if they find who the original contractor was, the person they originally sold it to, they can bust them, but... The problem is getting from the guy who's selling it on Amazon to their original source, because the guy who's selling on on Amazon might be, you know, you might be able to say, okay, that's um, that's immoral because you're helping someone break a contract. But the guy who's selling it on Amazon or anywhere else is not breaking the law. There's no law, Title 18, you know, U.S. Code, yeah. nothing that says you can sell something you can't sell something. But there's there are civil civil remedies for breaking a contract. And that's the original seller. So the gray market is really what the the massive amount of product that you're seeing everywhere. And it's not just it's not just gray market. You're seeing you're seeing a lot of knockoff product and stuff like that out there as well. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how much, uh, and I can't say, but I don't know how much Amazon's really trying. Mm -hmm. um, is it just because there are a so lot much, of tools? Is it just because yeah, they've got so much going on? Like the, they've just got so much volume that they don't need to worry about it, or they're not worried about their reputation, or like why why wouldn't they take a, a stronger stand on on this i'm a big movie lover and sometimes i take movie lines uh you know because <laughs> i think screenwriters are some of the most insightful people in the world and the final line in the hbo film too big to fail right which was about the the markets uh you know the the, the um yep. the markets falling out right. in 0809 uh william hurt played henry paulson who was either the hero or the criminal of the entire of the entire housing crisis. Um, in the end, they asked him, and this is, you know, it's obviously in a movie and the line was probably written by a screenwriter, but the insight was great where they asked him, they said, well, you knew this was going to happen. Why didn't you stop it? And he goes, we were too busy making money. Right. And I think, I think in all kinds of business, you know, things happen because, and they're not looking because they're too busy making money. And right. I don't think they're, they're saying, look, I'm not going to handle this. They're just not looking. Yeah. You know, um, and there are safe harbor agreements, you know, and there are safe harbor laws where as long as you have a, um, a department that handles whatever that problem is, um, even if you're not competent at handling it, as long as you have a department and a place for people to call, and a place for brands to report it, 
they can report and say, okay, you're selling this product, this counterfeit on your website, this seller is doing it, and they take reasonable measures to enforce it, then there's nothing that can happen to the marketplace because they're trying. Right, right, right. Okay. If that makes sense. Is that sort of the same thing in terms of, with? and again, this might be off subject, but you know, when... Yeah. Um, when someone hacks into a credit card or gets my credit card or, or, you know, those types of things where I get a weird charge and I call up the bank or the, the one that has the credit card and I call them up and say, that's not my charge. Um, and then they just usually just take it off and they just do it as a write-off. Like, is that sort of the same yeah. thing? Like the same idea is like, Absolutely. They, don't, they don't want to go and actually find out, find the people that got my number or how they got it, whatever. Um, it's just right. easier for them to just write it off. Is that sort of the similar thing? Yeah, and the, the, the type of person who does that, they're called carders, C-A-R-D-E-R. -E yep. And the carding market is that. They're selling massive amount of credit card information to one person, and it's wholesale. You have one guy that farms it all, the other guy that verifies it all, the other guy that sells them, then the other guy that sells them retail and sells 10 to this guy and 10 to that guy. And yes, um, there is, um, what, what, what happens is they, the, the, professionals know what the threshold is. Okay, so there's a threshold. Let's just say the threshold is 600 bucks, right? So they know not to spend over 600 bucks. And they and they also, they know that you can say, you can call up every one of the customers. See, they're not ripping you off. Mm -hmm. They're ripping off the credit card companies and the insurance companies. Right. And they truly believe that. And, you know, when you really look at who gets hurt, it is usually the insurance companies, unless you have people who are not attentive to their, you know, credit card bill. Right. So they're hurt, they're hurting people, but but on the main, you know, from their moral perspective, they're hurting the big guy, not the little guy. Right. So they'll and and this has happened to us because part of being undercover is basically being naked out in the real world. So we have to give, even though we have undercover accounts, our credit cards are being used out there all the time. So I'll give my credit card company to some scam, my credit card info to some scammer, and then and then all of a sudden I'll find a. $400 charge on my credit card for yeah. something I didn't buy. Yeah. And then we call up and, you know, I've done this myself. I've called the credit card company. I've told them, look, I don't know this charge. I'll say, okay, we'll investigate. And a couple of days later, the charge is gone. So that's what the professionals do. And they know that that's the threshold. And what, and if they're under that threshold, FBI, I mean, they have to, the FBI has to investigate not only, you know, every single thing that comes along like this. Right. And uh, they have a website called ic3.gov, which is the Internet Crime Complaint Center, which really is the dumping ground for all all fraud. Right, you know, right. Pretty much. So that's where everybody puts their information. That's where they should put their information. But they have all that stuff to sort through. And connecting these and creating a threshold for any one of these criminals, you know, to say, okay, this guy is responsible for $10 million worth of fraud. Well, that's the threshold, 10 million bucks. Even for LAPD, I talked to them about some uh, about some fraud, and they said, "Yeah, our threshold for for electronic crimes, ten million bucks, I believe the number was." So if it's under ten so, million, they won't even look at it. Yeah, and it's yeah. not because they don't want to. Yeah, it's just that they have to prioritize crime. Yeah, you know, yeah. just say if murder's out of control, you <laughs> yeah. know, you can't you can't put you can't put you know you can't double up on the parking meter meter maids you know what i mean you right. got to handle the murders you yeah. know so they have to handle the biggest crimes first because they're the most victims yeah yeah and working their way down and they know that and you know like i said it's like an arms race with law enforcement the criminals always have to stay under the radar and the smart ones even when i was talking about talking to you earlier about using my company's brands well 
once they get on my my client's radar, they may be using a Fortune 500, you know, bank or or something like that. Um, they know once they're on the company's radar, they just switch brands. So they may have my client's financial institution up there one day. Yep. Then all of a sudden, I ID these guys, and then they start poking around. They just change. They just change brands, right? Because there's no reason for my client to keep poking around because we stopped them, right? Right, and the client isn't going to spend tens of thousands of dollars to hunt someone who is, who is, you know, now going after a different brand, know, someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they move along too. So it's a real long rat race. With, with that, with that, I see three website. Is it worth if you are a victim? Is it worth trying to to report it, or do you think? Just maybe oh, hundred percent. It is. It is worth it. But yeah, you probably some people don't do that. They just like ah, oh, that was just me being stupid. I guess I'll I won't do that again. Yeah, you know, and I, I think there are two things you need to keep in mind. There's the good and the bad, but both of them have the same have the same explanation. I mean, when you put the information, you know, for your scammer and your scam into IC3, um, you're just a drop in the bucket. You're one in millions. Yeah. Right. And that sounds like, okay, look, I'm not gonna get my money back. And chances are you're not. But you're helping eventually you're helping that guy get caught. You know what I mean? And that's what you're doing. It is a drop in the bucket, but you are helping that person get caught. And, you know, I always tell people, look, you know, they'll always ask, you know, is there a chance I get my money back? I'm like, probably not, but you're not going to get any money back. If they do recover millions, you're not going to get money back unless you report it because you have to be listed as a victim. Right, right. So there is that. It's almost like the lottery, you know, you're not going to win unless you buy a ticket. So I want, I want to tell you, quick. this just reminds me of a, a quick story that, of something that happened to me. Um, I was, uh, I was trying, I think we were trying to get something where the, with, you know, where they needed a credit report and I was denied credit and they said, yeah, it's because you've got this like outstanding debt from Verizon Wireless. And I'm like, I've never heard of this before. And so I actually went onto the credit report, found out that someone had basically used my name to, uh, grab a bunch of cell phones from Verizon uh, and then they actually gave the address and I was able to like I, you know, I went on to Google Maps and I found the address that was being used in, you know, in, to, in my name. And I and I wanted to go vigilante at that point and go to that. But it's possible that that person was just they, they just used a fake address and it probably wasn't the real person. But what if it was? It would have been like, hey, stop using my name. And it turns out that like they cleared it off the credit report anyway. But um, oh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, that's it, I that's, work credit card fraud cases all the time, yeah. especially like I said, I mostly work for brands, you know, as trademark owners. So it usually starts like with with, um, for example, um, using credit cards to fake, uh, you know, stolen credit card information to buy real goods and have them ship places. Yeah. Um, I worked a case recently where it was a retail retail clothing company and they had a, a loophole where you could, you know, give a certain amount, you know, with your first purchase, you got this huge gift with purchase. Right. So they were buying something small and getting a massive gift with purchase, having shipped to an address, right? Then I started looking at all these addresses and they were all over like see, was it? rural Michigan, I believe. Mm -hmm. Okay. They were all over this area. And um, what I, when I started investigating the addresses, some of them, some of them had been involved in, in uh, meth operations and things like that. So these are people who will just rent out their address, you know, for this purpose. And they'll just, you know, probably answer a local ad say Craigslist or somewhere like that and say, you know, receive packages for this amount of money and, you know, 
get paid per package or whatever it is. And then they have some third party person, you know, just like in the drug world, they'll have a, you know, a, a runner go pick up the packages and bring them to another location. And they just they don't know who the, necessarily who the kingpin is. With, with, with all of this stuff going on, do you get like sad or depressed about about the world of, of the criminal sort of enterprises or do you just chalk that up to that's it's just a, it's just the manner is different than than what it used to be? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I get, you know, the human nature thing yeah. is I get kind of philosophical about this. You know, I mean, the the you know, the yin and the yang. I mean, it's almost like there's a. Same amount of good and evil in this world there always has been, you know, and it's never yeah. going to change. You yeah. know, you got a positive and negative, you know, um, ions, you know, in every, you know, molecule, you know, I, I really do believe that there's always going to be good and always going to be bad. Uh, look, Cain killed Abel. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, whether you believe in the myth or not. I mean, that's, that's one of the first stories we ever have. And it's a brother killing a brother, you know? Right, right. So. There are always going to be people doing harm to one another. Well, and um, I, I think the yeah. a p- a point you raised earlier was the, you know, the, the, the people that are scamming off of a, like a credit card company or an insurance company, they justify that in their head by saying, well, I'm just going yep. after these, these, these fat cats that are making all this money. And so they don't think about it, that they're victimizing a real human. Right. I think that that might be part of, pl- you know, playing into it. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is too, even with counterfeiting, you know, they believe they're giving the people what they want. You know, they're giving people cheap products yep. that look real. Yep. And they think the only person they're hurting is the brand owner. In some cases, they might be right. But I'll tell you, even with even with the things like Nike sneakers and things like that, um, they're not using they're not using the same safe uh, materials. You know, I mean, right. you can you can bet the counterfeit items aren't tested to be you know, uh, flame resistant and things like that, you know, so they are, you know, eventually hurting the little guy, but they, they see it as, you know, providing a service that's needed. But, and yeah, I mean, the, the ones that are doing the credit card fraud, they don't think they're inconveniencing you. Yes. Yep. You know, and, and they all, you know, a lot of these people too, I mean, they're in, they're in countries where, you know, three bucks a day is rich. So, you know, when they take $300 from you, Mm -hmm. You know, even from the average person that doesn't make too much money here, three hundred dollars is going to set you back a little. You know, but it's not going to ruin your life. Yeah, I I, I want to switch gears just a little bit. Um, we had chatted before, and and uh, you said one of your pet peeves is that you don't like the word cyber attack. Um, can you sort of explain it. why why that's a pet peeve of yours? Yeah, it's a pet peeve because I think you know they're using sort of like a shock doctrine to scare people into paying millions of dollars to a lot of these like cybersecurity companies and things like that. Um, you know, an attack sounds scary. Yeah. You know, you're on the street and someone attacks you. That's like a big fist or a shovel or a gun. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, when someone picks your pocket, less scary. Yeah. You know, uh, most crimes on the internet are really cyber pickpocketing or cyber heists. Right. Even large scale hacks, ransomware hacks. I don't find the justification for using the word attack. Mm-hmm. It's it's a heist. A heist is still a scary word. I mean, a heist, you can steal millions of dollars in art in a heist, diamonds in a heist. Yeah. Um, and that's what people are doing. They're sneaking somewhere, taking something valuable and leaving as as undetected as they can. Right. Um, they're not going in with shock value, you know, and, and hurting anyone. Yeah. I think, I think the term was used 
advantageously by a lot of companies that are making billions of dollars. When someone says we've had a cyber attack, all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, we got we to spend, you know, $2 million, you know, and ask this company to harden our system. Right. You know what right. I mean? Things like that. But it's just a heist. I mean, you just yeah. have to plug holes, you know, <laughs> but with a heist, if someone keeps breaking into your building, you know, you don't hire a thousand security guards. You tighten up the alarm system, maybe yeah. hire an extra security guard. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you tighten up the holes and you move on. Yeah. We need um, to call and, a cyber um, plumber. That's what it is. It's this, it's this, the cyber mechanic. Um, plumbers. I'm gonna, that's I'm not what gonna, they are. I'm going to stop using the yeah. word cyber attack now, Rob. So thank you. Of for, course. Thank you for that. Um, what, yeah. Just before we go, what's uh, if you if you had to give sort of uh, consumers sort of a piece of advice, uh, you know, the piece of advice that I was always given was if, you know, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is um, sort of do your due diligence. What's what sort of advice do you have to, to so that people can sort of maybe avoid some of these scams? There are three major rules that I have that I follow. One, don't answer any questions on the telephone. If someone calls you, don't answer a single question. Okay. Okay. Call the company back. Yeah. And all you have to do is politely say, look, I don't answer questions over the telephone. You can understand that. And then, you know, I'll call you guys back. Same with an email. You receive an email from a company that appears to be legit. First thing you do is you drop, do the little drop down and you look at, the actual domain name of who's sending it to you. Second, even if it looks legit and it's your bank saying, click on here to read an alert, don't click on the link. Even if it looks legit, yeah. go to your bank website and look, look at your alerts. Right. If you follow those two things, you're safe with most of the situations. Now, the next step also is when you're on a website, okay? It's so easy to clone a website now, right? What you need to do is you need to go to your company's website. If you receive a link for something that looks just like your company's brand, except there's an extra word attached, you know, and it'll say like whatever bank, it'll say bank, you know, funds.com, you know, and I'll be like, well, that's just their variation domain for their funds. Go to that. No, go to your company domain, go straight there. Never click on a link to go somewhere that you were alerted to. If you follow those two, three main rules, you'll be safe 99% of the time. All right. Uh, the, uh, that's some great advice, Rob. Thanks again for, for joining us on the show today. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. All right. And uh, don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and add any comments that you have below. Uh, join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.